Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. There's still time. The AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhammer. I went back to, to that introduction. We've got a few that we kick the show off with, just because... Last week, I thought, ah, we'll, we'll have a two-hour podcast. I think I've got everything worked to two hours. And it ended up again close to three. Not putting a time on this episode, but we, we, we're covering a lot. We've got two feature interviews. Mm-hmm. That's always going to make things long. We're going to be talking about the Whitecaps kicking off their pre-season. A little bit of Vancouver FC news. Some international news. We'll be looking at the Whitecaps this week, 50 years ago in 1974. Hot Chocolate Boy makes a triumphant return. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure there'll be lots of other bits that we'll throw in here and there as well. But what a week it has been, Zach. Snowmageddon 2024 hit, and now we are in the meltdown of it. It's it's very slushy and wet out there. Yeah. Last week was crazy, man. It, it was a, a weird week. I didn't get to any VMSL games. They were all surprisingly called off at the weekend. I didn't no leave commitment. my house. I didn't leave my house for like almost three days. I, that's my usual, apart from walking the dog, mind you. But yeah, I, what was it like uh, in your bit? Because we got, I would say, maybe a foot and a half to two foot here. In East Van, so I can only imagine oh, how yeah. bad it was. It was, it was, it was eighteen to twenty-four inches, um, and the problem we're right where we live. Our problem is it's not the getting out and going somewhere. It's we live in this little complex where you turn into it, or you yeah, you turn into it, and there's a, a little incline, and then there's an immediate left turn and a steeper incline. <laughs> And uh, there's been two, three, maybe more times where we've in snowy, icy weather where we've not been able to get up the hill. And so you don't want to get caught with like someone behind you or someone coming down the hill. And that's and it's a very narrow as well. It's we we only reason we, we bought here was because we're at the back where it doesn't feel narrow and tight and like claustrophobic. Right. The rest of it. There are other parts of where our little complex we live in that field are too claustrophobic for me. Like even when I drive through them, I'm like, 
I'm so thankful I don't live like in such a tight space so close to other people. Um, but uh, yeah, so we we didn't we probably there's one of the days we probably should have walked down to see okay how bad is the hill and even and check even if we can't make it up the hill how snowy is the road so could we because we'd have to park on the road if we couldn't get back up the hill because that was our big fear it was like okay if we can't get back up the hill we got to park on the road but the 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 whole side of the road might be covered in a snowbank so. It was like it was like okay, yeah. let's just stay. Let's all four of us just stay in. in we'll we'll play games. We'll watch shows. We'll hang out. We'll read together. We'll we and we love doing those things. My daughter went in our backyard. There's a, a tiny little hill, and she just likes to. She has an old like tiny little sled, not even sled. Thing. Well, anyways, it's a little thing. She goes down the hill on. She loved it. She went out there for a day. My son and I went out and shoveled snow like you're supposed to do after it all stopped and mm. after the plow finally came and you know not buried us but gave us some parameters to shovel within and yeah, it was, it was yeah, nice this would have been a fantastic week to have started our book club if your book had arrived yes. could have got that to you but yeah. it hasn't yet we'll, we'll we'll get right into that the, the snow banks as well was the problem for me because my car yeah i know i, I couldn't are. get it out yeah it was just so deep but my neighbor who was parked in front of my car cleared all of the snow around their car cleared the snow banks so their car could get out to leave a nice gap that I then drove forward to as soon as they left <laughs> and and took that spot. So it was, it was very nice of him. They let me get out to the Hot Chocolate Festival this weekend. So did care, they, caring neighbours. Did, did, like, did you steal the spot when you came back? I, I stole it as soon as they left. As soon as left, you pulled into it. Did yeah, they come I was like, oh, I can move forward. That's awful. I would be so frustrated if I... We, we left shortly after that to go out. So it was good because we were like, oh, if, if we can get out, we'll go to the Hot Chocolate Festival. And I was like, I don't know that we'll do it. And I was like, hey, look what our neighbor's doing. I think we might get out. So when you got back, did you take that empty spot again? No, we parked around the back because oh, yeah. uh, the complex had cleared our actual parking yeah. spot properly, which my lesson is park there when you know there's a snowstorm coming. But in the past, they haven't cleared it well and it's been a struggle to get out of our spot there. So I thought, oh, the front will be better. But yeah. they just basically hadn't come to clear anywhere around us at all. But yeah, it's it's worse. I like I love the snow. I genuinely love the just everything about it. I like being out in it. Even my Mexican rescue dog has been in, enjoying the the snow. It's when it starts to melt and it goes all slushy. It's just like oh, it's just awful. But I don't know. This might be the only dump we get of the year. We shouldn't complain when you see the, what the rest of Canada's like and what the US yeah. is going through at the moment from coast to coast. It's been bad in Oregon. It's been bad out east. It's just horrendous. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, no air travel or anything at this point in time for me. I always j joking like, oh, yeah, I, I, I live in this part of the country to avoid this because I've had it so much of my life. Um, but, yeah, you can't really complain when you're here and you, it happens once, maybe twice yeah. or in a crazy year three times. So yeah, this is our first. This is our first really bad one, right? For this but year, first for a yeah for a while. I my parents Last came Christmas? over to visit in two thousand and nine, and it was a really bad dump there, and they couldn't get out anywhere to go and see the city. I couldn't take them anywhere because my car was snowed in, and that was worse because it hung about for way longer than this. But well, last year it was last Christmas. It was that ice storm, right? Remember? Because my family was supposed to come out and they couldn't. Oh yeah, everything was everything was frozen. Yeah. I think they couldn't leave Toronto, let alone land here. 
I, I was watching the, the 49ers game on Saturday night and it was torrential heavy rain down there in San Jose. I, I don't care about the pigskin, but I'm probably supposed to say Steve and I are not very happy with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, talking to Steve and Snow, I always remember the videos he sent us from years oh, past. Oh, yeah. Cars and his, his cul-de-sac trying to get out. Oh. Uh, I, I, uh, we should message him and ask what this year's been like. Does he have any more <laughs> more uploads? Because his road is like they have some of the people. Like there's some people who live on his street who they don't care <laughs> what's going on with the weather. They're like they have somewhere to go or work to get to. Yeah. Or, uh, they're uh, like a you know first responder. I don't know what they they got places to be, and they just they drive. Doesn't matter what what kind of tires they have or four wheel or front wheel or rear wheel drive. They're just and they're, and they're, and they're skidding awful. everywhere. Yeah, they're awful. I, I tweeted this out. I watched this Mercedes, a sporty Mercedes. I had been down the park at the bottom of my house with Annie, and we watched. Well, I say we. She did, had no interest. I, I watched this car going down the hill, and then unable to get around the corner because, and it kept reversing up to try and take a run at it, and it just could not turn this corner because of its tires. Not quite sure why he then thought I can just turn around and go up the hill, <laughs> and then he got stuck at the top of the hill in the intersection. Oh, uh, uh, there was three other people trying to help him and him as well, and it's like, why? Why do you think? I mean, he might have had snow tires on. They didn't look it. It was certainly sporty looking tires, and then he just gave up. And I saw him go back down the hill and just pull over and park. So it's like. Either don't go anywhere, or if you have to, just get public transit. Yeah, surely folk understand if you're if you're late and stuff because uh. Well, and the, well, and the one of the things about the the, that the awful pandemic helped us with is like okay, the ability to say okay, I'm going to get on my computer and work from home, or have yeah. that have that meeting not in person. Yeah. No, it doesn't apply to everything, but my my big big complaint though, and that this is a a genuine thing that has really pissed me off. So Caitlin has to walk to work. Well, I, I could drive her, but she has to walk to work. I couldn't get the car out, honest. Yeah. Uh, the, like, this, the sidewalks are just not cleared. Oh, So yeah. it's like, they, they, they say, oh, we've got to make sure the roads are clear. It's like, people are walking on the sidewalks. Don't just pile up huge snowbanks so that you can't walk. I figure what part of Vancouver, I have a buddy who was doing some snow removal in Vancouver. Or not snow removal, but I think he was clearing sidewalks. He put a video of him, like he, like working for a company, like an actual, oh, like a side job where he was clearing the sidewalk. We had three teenagers actually that came around and cleaned everyone's paths and stuff in the complex. Our complex pays for someone to come and do it, nice. and I was like, "That's so nice." It's that the, they were doing that. Unfortunately, it was the day where the second snowfall came, so everything they cleared got covered within about an hour, and it's I kind of felt for them, but it gave you hope for the future that the there's there's kids doing stuff like that but the the good news as i said about all of this is the snow cleared or the path to get out of the snow cleared for me enough to get to the hot chocolate festival this weekend and that means hot chocolate boy is back hot chocolate boy he's never had one hot chocolate bad one hot chocolate boy Yes, we've got a double dose of Hot Chocolate Boy this show, and not only that, Zach was part of it. Oh, not not together. No, but we can, we like can y- that. 
You, you mentioned on, on last week's show that there was one place in Langley that was taking part in the 14th Great is, Vancouver yeah. Hot Chocolate Festival. Which, as far as I understand it, is the closest place to my home to participate. Yes, th- there's, some, there's a couple in, like, Port Coquitlam, Coquitlam, Pit Meadows. So I think Langley, this would have been the closest one. And it's, it's the Pie Hall. They have mm-hmm. three locations, that one in Langley that yep. you went to, one in Burnaby that I went to, and they also have one in Kitts in Vancouver on West 4th. But so you'll we, visit, will you visit that one later? In the, in the... No. I, no. I, I wasn't going to go to the Pie Hall this year because I went last year and it was okay, but I found it quite sickly. It was, it was just a bit too much. Uh, but uh, on, on Twitter, Craft Queer had said this was one of the ones that he was interested in going to, and I, I hadn't looked at it, and I was like, oh, look... And then I saw number 141 in the list, the apple pie hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have to go back for it. And yeah. you went for it as well. But before yeah. we get into that, I've got a very important question for you. Yeah. Were you there on your own? No. Oh, thank heavens for that. <laughs> because when you shared how much food you had bought, Caitlin and me were like, oh my God, he's going to have a heart attack and never oh, make the show man. on Sunday to talk about it. It was like our dessert appetizer for her. How many of you were there? There's four of us. Oh, whole family. Oh, that's good. We had, I, yeah. I just thought, I mean, Caitlin said, oh, no wonder he's the size he is. And now she did. <laughs> that's a joke. I feel bad for saying it. No, no, no. Um, just make Caitlin the bad person. But yeah, the, your pie hole was a lot nicer inside than the Burnaby one, which is a lot smaller, and the, there's not a lot of seat. And we managed to get one of the last seats when we went on, on Saturday. So just to explain to everyone, they have two um, items that are getting served this year at the Hot Chocolate Festival, the Apple Pie Hot Chocolate and the Barrel of Chunky Monkeys. Both run from January 13th to February 14th for the whole festival. So you and me partook in the Apple Pie Hot Chocolate, which is sweet and creamy hot chocolate with house-made brown sugar apple butter syrup and cinnamon-spiced white chocolate calibo topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle and buttery baked brown sugar pie crumbles served with a mini apple caramel crumble pie consisting of double butter crust, a mix of granny and gala apples, house-made caramel and brown sugar crumble. Now, we haven't talked about our experiences, no. so we get to do it on the show for the first time. So, but listening to that, like, I, I could see people getting diabetes listening to it. Yes. <laughs> I I was worried because of how sweet my one there was last week, but I was pleasantly surprised. It, I didn't come away from it thinking, oh my God, I, I need to go and have an insulin shot. Yeah. It's... It wasn't, I didn't find it as sickly as I thought I was going to. I actually found it very pleasant and I really, really enjoyed it. I don't know how you felt. Uh, I I thought it was delightful. Now, to be fair, like we were sharing, like, so we, mm. we got that. We just got one of those. So we only had one hot chocolate. Ah. And, and then we, the little thing that came with it. Uh, and then my wife got a, um, was it blueberry or raspberry something pie yeah because we, we didn't see that in the burnaby one because we we're like yeah. what on earth was that so she got that heated up with uh, a little bit of ice cream vanilla ice cream nice and then my daughter wanted um 
Oh, the giant, cookie? the giant s'mores cookie heated up. And then I couldn't, like, I can't resist if I'm like I am in this moment eating carbs. I can't resist key lime pie. Mm. Like key lime pie, I think is my favorite pie. And uh, so I got a slice of the key lime pie. So we, and then we just shared that all together. Yeah. So like, it was like. Nah, I feel better it. knowing that yeah. now. Yeah. And because we were, because we were going to stage an intervention. We were going to meet up with the fanatics after for dinner, uh, like an, an hour. Oh, you were busting. Later. <laughs> yeah, we were going to meet up with them later. We knew we were going to eat food food. So it was like, everyone was like, okay, calm down. Don't like, because otherwise, because we were there and I was just like, uh, I want a meat pie and I want, and, and then. Oh, they, they, they do have. absolutely beautiful Thai uh, pulled pork pies. Oh, well. Like if you go there again, it's they're really nice. Okay. But uh, we were interested in, there was that bacon cheeseburger. It's not a pie, but it's like that folded, like the pastry thing. Yeah, they had the, it, yeah, they call it a pie. It's more like what we call Brady's in Scotland, but yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. That's what I call it too. <laughs> but no, anyways, everything was delicious. Um, for my kids, I think the hot chocolate was like a tad sweet, but they still like drank a much of it. Um, I, um, I was worried when it was white chocolate because yes. it can be really yes. overpowering and sweet. I, I grew up only eating white chocolate because I found like the dark chocolate, like milk chocolate, whatever, used to give me a headache when I was younger. Not so much in mm. uh, as I'm, I've been, you know, aged. But um, so I used to eat lots of white chocolate as a kid. So um, as soon as I saw it was white chocolate, I was like, hey, it is going to be a little bit sweet. But it, I thought it was delightful. It, it gave it like it gave you full on apple pie flavor. Like, yeah. So the the, cr like, oh, the crumbles and it were delicious. But for oh, me, yeah. what what made it, I I think was the caramel. Yeah, the caramel, the the butter syrup. I, I'm not sure exactly what all fit together, but it's like that was absolutely delicious. Oh, yeah. The small, the small one was like, it was good, but it was like a little bit too small. There wasn't the like enough filling. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say filling. there wasn't enough filling. It, it seemed yeah. to me more pastry and topping than actual filling. Yeah. I, I would have struggled to have told you there was two kinds of apples in it. Yeah. Same. I same. almost struggled to good. tell was there was any good. apples in it, but yeah, it was still good, but it wasn't, yeah, yeah it wasn't quite. Well, Caitlin had the barrel of chunky monkeys, oh, yeah, which is a, a whole lot of monkey business with this hot chocolate, they say, inspired by our chunky monkey pie, 65% Inea dark chocolate with house-made banana caramel syrup, topped with whipped cream, chocolate drizzle and candied banana chip streusel, served with a mini chunky monkey pie, double butter crust, dark chocolate ganache, banana cream, whipped cream and chocolate drizzle. I... I it was it, the pie itself was nice. Caitlin's hot chocolate was absolutely delicious. It it was the perfect. It wasn't too bitter as a dark chocolate. It wasn't too sweet. It I really really enjoyed her hot chocolate. Nice. Both the hot chocolates I thought I thought were excellent. Did I, she I, enjoy I yours? The pie hole. She thought mine was a bit too sweet. She's not a white chocolate fan. Yeah, which is why she went for the other one. But yeah, both I'm in definitely recommend. Both those ones, uh, and if you can check out the pie hole, I'd, I'd yeah, do that. the pie hole was great. The key lime pie was delicious. It's hard to make a bad key lime pie, in my opinion. And uh, like my daughter, well, all of us loved the s'more. The s'mores cookie heated up was it was yeah, it was great. When, when Caitlin saw the picture you sent, she was like, "Oh, cause she loves a s'mores cookie." Yeah. Now, like you said before on the show, none of this stuff is like cheap, because when I went in, I yeah. said, I said to my wife, I said, "Well, let's just get a." I said, you love, uh, you want this kind of, they have it, you, they, we can take it home. We don't even have to eat it now because uh, like, we're going to go eat a meal in an hour, hour and a half or whatever. So you can have it, 
beer. It would just take that home. And she's like, no, I, I, she's like, I can't spend whatever was like $14 on the mini one. She's like, I feel bad enough spending $7 on a slice or whatever it was. So I was like, okay, whatever, like whatever you want. So we just, we did that way. But yeah, yeah, it's not cheap. It is pricey. Um, But I I think it, it, I feel this was good value. I've been to some in previous years where you're like, it's a very small cake. Like one of the ones we've looked at, you get one caramel filled chocolate with it. And it's like, yeah, it's a handmade chocolate. So obviously it's expensive, but it's like one with what looks like quite a small hot chocolate as well. And I'm like, hmm. Because yeah. to, to me, as I said last week's show, the the cake or the sweet treat with it is, is equally important when you're paying that money. Because oh, yeah. I, I, I recommend the pie hole. What we were trying to avoid this year is we didn't want to go back to back Saturday, Sunday. Because it right. is a lot. And I wanted to try and do a, a Saturday or a Sunday and a midweek one and a Saturday and a Sunday. But because of the snow, we were going to go on Tuesday. I didn't feel like it. And then the snow hit on Wednesday and we didn't get out. So we've done back-to-back this weekend. And I'm still alive. I'm still alive to tell the tale. Are you regretting it? No, because the one we went to today is my favourite one so far this year. And I I cannot recommend this one enough. It Mm. was Broyer Cafe and Bakery on 6414 Fraser Street in Vancouver. It's a Japanese-Vietnamese fusion cafe. Yeah, you told me about this. Okay. So they do banh mi sandwiches, they do filled croissants, oh. they've got a whole bakery thing. Oh, oh it, sounds delicious. I've not been before because I'm, I'm not I'm not in Fraser and 49th area as much as I'd like to be because whenever I do go, we find all these really cool places to go to around about there. So we need to go and explore it more. But I had, they've got three options. Two are on all festival long and one starts on the 27th. But we went for number 35 in the festival guide, Temptation Tango. It's available for the whole festival. And it is an exquisite coconut coffee hot chocolate where Belgium Calibo dark chocolate lends its rich elegance. Indulge in the fusion of tropical coconut and bold coffee, expertly crafted to create a tantalizing hot chocolate like no other. Served with a slice of coconut coffee cake or Vietnamese coffee cake. So we had one of each. So we could nice. have half each. And f- first of all, the hot chocolate was absolutely amazing. It had no whipped cream. It's the first one we've had this festival. Oh, yeah. No I saw cream, your picture. Yeah. Which I I'm, I try and avoid whipped cream at the best of times. But during the festival, if it comes with whipped cream, I have it with whipped cream because that, that's what they've created. So this was magnificent. The the chocolate and the coffee together just it was so good. Vietnamese coffee I, I do I do love. And it had coconut shavings on it and it just worked perfectly. It's got a rich foam on it as well that kinda like a, a crema cappuccino style foam. That was tremendous. But the cakes, I will be going back to this cafe because <laughs> the Vietnamese coffee cake in particular, and it comes in a kind of almost chocolate Oreo base, graham cracker base maybe, and it's coffee infused. Oh, these two cakes were to die for. They were absolutely amazing. I cannot recommend this enough. Broyer Cafe and Bakery, 6414 Fraser Street. See, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I would not have ordered any of those things that you subscribed. But they do, I, I see how you would you would enjoy them. 
I would also like I would highly recommend Pie Hole if you can get to any of their locations. It was it was delicious and yeah, the Langley one is it looks newer. It's on the one way in downtown Langley on on, on Fraser Highway, um, and it's a really nice nice place to go. I mean, they, there's a, a few nice places and uh, or awesome places to eat or get food uh, on the one way there and and in Langley, but it's uh yeah, it's you're right. It's quite it's quite a nice little space and mm, if, you have, nice if you have a sweet if you have a sweet tooth. Yeah, you're... If, I, if I have any teeth left by the end, end of this month, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And we inspired Felipe. He mentioned he was going to go to one this weekend. I haven't had the feedback from that. And I've had a couple of other folk message me as well to say that after listening to our segment, they're going to go and check this out. So we'll yeah. be back next weekend with another Hot Chocolate Boy. Every girl yelling, wanting him to be the terror. Chocolate boy, he's a sensation, a chocolate nation, a chocolate boy. Well, I guess we should probably start talking about football now. It feels like we're about 20, 25 minutes into this show and we haven't talked about football yet. We've talked about snow, we've talked about hot chocolate. Let's talk about something else that's going to be hot this year. Vancouver Whitecaps. That's what the timestamps are for, right? Yes. <laughs> Come for the hot chocolate, stay for the Whitecaps. There that you could go. Be the, that could be the marketing at BC Place. <laughs> I don't know that they need much marketing because their ticket sales are, are going through the oh, roof. Oh, yeah. We, we mentioned on last week's show about the, the Golden Era pack, the four-game pack, which was going to be the 50th anniversary game against Austin. The home season opener against RSL. No, not against RSL, against Charlotte. Then the next home game against RSL. And then, of course, the Messi match. That was insanely received on Monday. And I, I went into it just at one point, just out of curiosity. And the queue was over 5,000 long to get even to buy the tickets. And yeah. I was like, Wow. It's it's been so successful that they've opened up the upper bowl for those four matches. I believe season ticket holders are getting a pre-sale. I think even starting Monday to yeah, get single tickets for for games. That's my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So it's limited for just a couple of tickets per season ticket holder. So I I imagine this messy match is going to sell out pretty quick. I watched the Ballers Round podcast or, or a bit of it. Uh, on YouTube tonight, just I was working on stuff. I saw they were live. I thought, I'll, I'll stick it on. So they were talking about the Montreal game. Yeah, because are all, they moving to the Big O? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't, oh, actually, I don't know. But the the tickets for that already, Eve said she'd seen some for, I think she said four grand on Marketplace. For the Messi? Yeah. Now, oh, that is goodness. dangerous to buy a ticket for that where you don't know if he's going to make it or not. Because anything could happen to any player at any time. Yeah, it's like you're not going to go back to the original seller and go, "Can I get my money back?" Messi didn't come. It's like well, tough. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's an interesting choice, I think, to splash that money that but, early. There are some people, though, I think, literally, who are just saying, "Okay, I want to make my season ticket money back for this year, or and or maybe." Yeah, next, and whatever. again, I understand that. I don't like it, and I I do have genuine concerns that there's going to be big swaths of empty stadium for some of these other games other games 
because folk either just won't come, they haven't been able to sell their ticket or whatever. I hope that's not the case and the Whitecaps are playing entertaining enough football. It, it will be to, interesting to, to see it. to see how it impacts the like the overall ticket marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. For um like secondhand tickets, uh obviously you could sell them through can't you sell them through Ticketmaster if you want? Yeah. But but then the you know, yeah, just the the non-traditional ways to sell tickets. It'll be interesting to see what it does to that. And the, right. Ticketmaster's right. got their dynamic pricing model as well, that the more the demand, the more expensive the ticket exactly. is and stuff like that. And, which I, I'm not a big fan of either, because if there's a gig I want to go to, like Idols, I'd like to buy my ticket for it. I got it for 49 bucks plus fees. The next night, tickets, because there's hardly any left, is 59 and it's like I, I don't like that. Just have your ticket price. Yeah, yeah. but that's a whole other rant. I won't go into just now. But the Whitecaps, their preseason is in full flow. No new additions for the Whitecaps this week. Although it was revealed that veteran goalkeeper Joe Bendick is in the training camp. Thirty-four years old now. Former Timber, former TFC player. It's also played with Orlando, Columbus, most recently with Philadelphia Union in his 12 MLS seasons so far. He made eight appearances for Philly last year, seven of them as a starter. But over the last five seasons, he's played very limited games. And it was a strange one. You're shaking your head because it's like when you saw it, you messaged me and I had seen it as well. And it's, it's like, it's strange. It might just be to get him fit. He might have been in the area. They just need another body. I don't think it's that. I think they are genuinely looking at him to maybe be in a battle with Isaac Bomer for the number two spot. I'd rather have Isaac, but Isaac does need to play serious minutes and him riding the pine for 34 games a season isn't going to help his development either. It's a weird one. Yeah, I I, I was shaking my head. Just, I just don't rate Joel Bendick. Well, like, that's never, the other thing as well. I don't I, I never, either. <laughs> and it's not because he. It's not just because he played for you know TFC or or the Timbers or whatever. Like I just, I remember. I remember. I think it was like his first year in Orlando, and for some, I couldn't. I didn't understand for some reason. Like he hadn't been there that long, and the, the supporters in Orlando did like a giant display of him. Like I think a rigged giant like Joel Bendick, he is, he is a part of our history. He is whatever. I was just like, what has the dude ever done for you? And I'm like, I don't. One, I don't think he's been that good. Period. I don't think he's been that good for you. And like, why? Why are you honoring? Why are you honoring him? Like, anyways, I just I've never I've never really rated the guy, and so on in that in that way, I don't think it's the best move. However, philosophically, like you were alluding to. I don't. I think it's a, a wise move in terms of bringing in someone who's a, a, a veteran who can step in should the the need arise. Um, I, I'm okay with that that philosophy for them. I think it, it can work for them. You know, and I think it's, it was last time or, or earlier in this off season. I said I would also be okay too if they just say, "Hey, like, yeah, um, uh, Bomer is going to play every time he can for WFC two. And then, and then he is the number two, and he will play. And they, and they, they, they ride him. They're like, he's our number two. We're happy with him. We trust him. We know what he's done for us. We know what he can do. We and he's, he's got better year upon year. Exactly. As well. 
So I'd be happy if they did that, but I see the wisdom in bringing in a wise veteran keeper, kind of yeah. like they sort of did with Cody Cropper. But to me, Cody Cropper was never at the level. Like I would say, Bendix a better keeper than go to Cody Cropper. Um, and so, um, yeah. So, anyways, bringing in someone more experienced who's uh, you have more assurance in that then allows you to say, okay, Bomer, you're not coming on this trip. You're going and playing in Animals Next Pro or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if Bendik's happy with that, which I imagine he would, because he has been playing limited minutes, and at one point he was the number three, I forget if it was with Philly or someone else, but he was the third choice keeper. So, he knows he's coming to the end of his career. I, I think I probably rate him a little bit higher than you, in that he he is a serviceable MLS keeper. Oh, I, I think he's serviceable, I just don't think he's on the higher end of the serviceable. No, I think that there's, there's certainly been better ones in, in the league. Like, we had Evan Newton here. Unfortunately, that didn't work out because of family things. He needed to be back in the US. But it's like, I would have loved him to still have, have been here and been the number two. He was such didn't, a good keeper. Didn't we also have Bush for a half a season? Yeah, Evan Bush as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. All, um, all the Evans. I, I feel like, uh, if my memory's not wrong, isn't Joel Bendick also the keeper who got like the short end of the stick in Toronto because they brought in Julio Cesar for that half season to get him ready for the World Cup. Oh. I think he will. I'd have to double check that. I'd have to check that as well, but yeah. But Isaac, he needs to play. He needs to develop. And just by sitting on the bench every week, that's not going to happen. So he needs these WFC two games. So yeah, you can have Bendik on for some. Then you've got the situation, heaven forbid, something happens to Takaoka and he's out. Now, he could get sent off as well and could get suspended. Like, anything can happen. Or, as Vanny talked about, it's maybe not wise to have him play every single game. And you've got League's Cup, and you've got Champions League, and you've got Canadian Championship. I think we can maybe think Isaac will be the Canadian Championship keeper, but we thought that last year, and it, it didn't necessarily prove to be that. But if Yohi was out for whatever reason... It's like, do you then say to Isaac, well, you're the guy that's coming in, you've been playing MLS Knicks Pro regularly, you've had some good games, or do you say to Bendik, you've been on the bench for all these games, you're the guy that moves up. That's when it's going to be an awkward choice for Vanny, and that'll be when it's very interesting to see if that happens, what decision is then made for that. Yeah. Yeah, I just double-checked. Bendik was the guy who was at Toronto FC 2013-2015 when Julio Cesar was brought in for a half a year or something so that he could be ready for the Brazilian World Cup. Wow. Um, I remember that now that you mentioned that. That was just... That was nuts. I mean, top they got top keeper. Yeah. It's like absolutely fantastic. Keeper they brought in, but it's like... You wonder what that does for Team Harmony. It's like, yeah. why would a player want to stay with that club but you've just screwed him over like that? Yeah, but Toronto that feels maybe par for the course, no? Yeah, they've they've not been they've not had a busy week either, really. Good old Joe Bendick. Yeah, but although it's not official whether they might be looking to Adam or not, two departures were confirmed last week. We won't go too much into them because we we talked about them and it was yeah. first rumored on the show. But Simon Betcher off to to Denmark top tier side AC Horsens. The Whitecaps will retain a percentage of the future transfer fee. The fee hasn't officially been confirmed. It was reported at the time it was going to be 400000 which is good business for a super draft pick. It's amazing business. It, it's it, tremendous. It, it, was it two years here? Was it yeah. year two years or one year? Two years. Well, 
I mean, he was two years here, but just one year with an MLS contract. Yeah, right. So they they paid him. They cost them nothing, and they paid him way under four hundred thousand dollars. And did they invest anything else into him? They, we could debate that, but it's it's a it's a great bit of business. But then um, he also scored some very crucial goals for them as well. The, that 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 adds to the great bit of business. Yeah, I think. Exactly. I mean, last year after he signed his MLS contract with the first team, Betcher scored seven goals in six starts and twenty five appearances across all competitions. Now that included that MLS record that he set for the fewest yeah. minutes played to score his first four career goals, which yeah. is a it's a bizarre record. I mean, it's just this is a case of just getting stats and records for the sake of it in one regard, but we'll take it because it's a white cap and we love Simon. Now, I, I was disappointed he didn't build on that, and I I was like, oh, he's going to be the start of the end of the year if he keeps this up he's gonna put himself in the u.s national team mix all these things and then for whatever reason and as we talked about when this first started i meant to ask vanny about that run out of time so maybe something i will address with him down the line but he never pushed on the way i hoped his appearances were limited and then because of that he wasn't firing on all cylinders but he showed what a good player he was. The year before in MLS Next Pro, he was excellent, earned that MLS first-team deal. He also became the first WFC2 player to score mm-hmm. for the first team when he had a, a call-up as well in, in that Cavallini ball that came to him, and then he, he tucked that away. We've spoken to Simon several times on the show. I've a lot of time for him. He is a He's a great kid. He's not really a kid, but to me, he's a kid. He's a great guy. I wish him nothing but the best and success over in Denmark. I hope he goes and lights it up because he deserves it. He's got his head screwed on. He's got the right attitude and he's got all the attributes to be a, a really, really good player. Yeah, Sam, I wish him all the best and hope this is another positive step in his footballing journey. I'm sad to see him go. I would have loved him to to have stayed here, broken in, made that made the breakthrough. Hopefully, Levante Johnson can be the guy that that does that now. Sadly, so sad, sadly, Michael. Sometimes players come and they just don't make the breakthrough. Yeah, I mean, uh, it it is the case as maybe with a certain Brazilian midfielder as well that also yeah. departed. It's been rumoured for a long time, but it was officially confirmed by the Whitecaps on Saturday that they transferred Caio Alejandre to Brazilian side Fortaleza EC. And then Fortaleza immediately flipped him to fellow Brazilian side Esporte Clube Bahia. I'll probably murder that name, but yeah. The, the transfer was automatically triggered because of Caio's performances during his loan spell with Fortaleza. But he had done so well that Bahia wanted to get him. Now, the fee that the Whitecaps got from Fortaleza hasn't been confirmed. Transfer market, though, lists the transfer fee between the two Brazilian sides to be four and a half million US, of -hmm. which the Whitecaps get a cut as well for a sell-on fee. So uh, another really good bit of business. I believe it was rumoured that the fee of him coming in initially was four million. So we don't know exactly whether they've made a profit, whether they've recouped that. This is another, like, 
I was excited by what he could offer, but we never got to see the real Kyle here, which is, I think, a shame because he had a metatarsal fracture in his left foot and then a left hand fracture and his appearances were basically limited. He made 15 appearances across all competitions, one assist, didn't really get to show what he could do. Maybe he'll come back to MLS one day down, down the future, but another player that I wish all the best to. Yeah, I was looking at transfer. The transfer market, I think, listed him as three point six million moved to the Whitecaps. So yeah, I, I, you hope they recouped and even made a little bit. And if they did, then again, kudos to them because that's good business. Yeah, I mean, he, he looked such a talented guy, and it would have been great to to see make the breakthrough here. But uh, some guys just don't. And South Americans as well, it can be hit or miss. They can go back and just light it up back in South America as well. Like Octavio Rivera's done well, Pedro Morales when he went back to South America did well. But yeah, Kyle, be interesting to see how his career trajectory goes now because he's really impressed in this loan spell. So let's see if he can push on now. Yeah. So the Whitecaps pre-season is now well underway and the first two matches are now in the books. I'm recording this bit with Zach on Sunday night, so I'll splice in what happened in the Monday game before we drop the podcast, so we can only, together, only talk about the the first game. But the Whitecaps kicked off the start of the 2024 pre-season with a 1-0 victory over Hungarian First Division side VTK, I'll just call them. I won't even try <laughs> and, and pronounce. Oh yeah, why, why not? Let's let's have a go. Dias Giori. Oh, that, that sounds, sounds good. good. That sounds yeah. good. It's got all these weird accents above the letters, so who knows? They're um, not. Weird. They're not weird, Michael. They're just different to what you're used yes. to. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I, I'm. I'm sorry to Peter Zimmerman. I'm sure he he can <laughs> correct me if my pronunciation of Dioscuri is not right. I'm going with that now. I feel confident. Um. So Saturday morning, one 0 win at the Marbella Football Centre. Canadian striker and 2024 MLS Super Draft pick. Nicolas Flurio Chateau, probably butchered that name as well. He scored the lone goal and the winner in the 65th minute. His first appearance for the club, his first goal for the club. And normally in a preseason friendly, I'd be like, do you need to do a back somersault to celebrate? But this was his first goal in a pro setup and his first appearance for the club. I think he, I think he merited was, a little who, back somersault. Was it Andre Lewis who did one like fell yes, down? Yes, he did it in Victoria. I was at that game and then he slipped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was. Quite you don't want to do that, and especially in a in a preseason friendly. But, but was it? It was a a tidy finish. It was a nice finish, right place, right time, good finish, and he had some good movements from the highlights that we could see, and he he comes he comes very highly recommended. He was picked in the third round, 74th overall, but his scouting report was very high. And the feeling was that he wasn't picked because he's not the biggest forward, but he's listed at six... No, he's listed at 5'10", sorry. Hmm. Um, that, that's a decent size for a forward for me, but also because he's Canadian, it yeah. puts clubs off. And he's not an academy product, so you would have to take up an international spot. So you have to be really good for clubs to 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 take a, an interest. I feel he's really good. Like he's he's a product out of Ottawa. 
He scored 14 goals in 2023. He had a comeback season because he tore his ACL in 2022. So again, that is potentially going to going to put some some teams off. But he knows the way to the back of the net. We spoke about this when the the Whitecaps drafted him. We hope to sit down with him actually this week. We'd mentioned to to Nathan. I'd like to speak to to both the. The, the draft picks that were taken in the, the second and the third round just to, to get to know them we like to do that on the show as you know every year definitely with Chateau now and as a Canadian as well you still imagine that he's going to be featuring for WFC too but he's he's putting himself out there and that's what you want to do you want to impress in the opportunities given to you and so far so good I thought there was like an embargo of, for you um, interviewing the, the draft picks because and we broke that last year. Oh, okay. Because none of them left. Right. I think it was twenty twenty one that was my nightmare. But the first four spoke four the first four people I spoke to that year in the podcast all left the club, including Theo yeah. Bear. Yeah. Before, it was like the ASTN jinx, yeah. It was like before first kick, right? Yeah. Yeah. That 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 was a horrible curse. But it was broken last year, thankfully. JC Gando we spoke to and he's still he's still around, so that's good. Levonte oh, Johnson we spoke to and he's still around. And go. both on the MLS roster as well. A, a guy that will be missing for a spell, though, and didn't feature in this game, oh. is Ali Ahmed. Tough, not... tough one for him, for both club and from a Canadian point of view. And we'll talk a little bit about Canada in, in part four. But it was confirmed that he's been struggling with a groin injury. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the same injury that Ranko had a couple of years ago. And Vanny spoke in his post-game from this friendly on Saturday about they've looked to the options they they thought can he play through it but every time he takes the pitch he's feeling this niggle and it was the same Maranco he went and got surgery and he's been totally fine since he hasn't felt it and you saw he was like an Iron Man almost last year and that's the feeling that they're like let's get Ali to get the surgery done now he'll miss a couple of weeks he might yeah. even be back for first kick but He'll miss the preseason. He'll he'll miss the the Canada game at the end of March probably as well. But if this can make him healthy for the full year, it's the correct decision. Yeah, and it, we, we've it, seen before players that haven't had surgery done. Scooter, yeah, yeah, and it it's really cost him in the end. Yeah, this seems like a wise decision uh, based on what we know, and uh, you just hope that he. Uh, recovers well and quickly and is able to kick on because he has been a real bright spot not just for the white cats but as you alluded to the national team uh, i was really impressed with his performances at, for the national team yep he's done well and you'd hope he can push on from that now as well but if he can get this done and and come back i mean we both spoke the high hopes we've got from this year for both club and country and it, it's it's a sad start to this year, but th- this is definitely the best road to, to get this done and make him healthy. So for the first preseason friendly, Sartini started the side in a 4-3-1-2 formation with a diamond midfield. Mm. The starting 11 included 10 returning players and Demir Krylak, with Krylak and Levonte Johnson and Ryan Gold, the front three. Now, interesting in a... 
a number of areas in this because is this going to be the preferred option? Is he going to look at a few different formations in pre-season before settling what to go? You've got the likes of Fafa Pico that's a winger. So is that going to maybe make an adjustment for some games if he's a starter or maybe off the bench? Four at the back as well, where I think a few of us thought he might be going with that three at the back formation. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I thought that was one of the most intriguing things about uh, about this opening friendly was to see him play four at the back, and then um, uh, it was gold behind uh, Krylak and uh, Levante, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, in, encouraging sign that uh, Vanny is once again showing that uh, he is he, he has the ability to be tac- tactically flexible, and. Um, yeah, obviously, only for this, I was only able to watch the highlights, right? So you don't get to see all the the nuances and the and the change. And was it a true back four? Yeah, I know he's played where it's a back four, but it doesn't really. It starts as a back four, but doesn't really look like a back four for most of the game. But I don't know. I was uh, I was kind of encouraged by that, and um, it'll be interesting to see if, like you say, if that is uh, this is how he sees them primarily playing, right? With gold behind two strikers and uh, three midfielders behind gold and, and four at the back. Yeah. And then the second match, which took place in the early hours of Monday morning Vancouver time, was against another Hungarian side, the Pushkas Academy, who, although they're called Academy, they are a top-flight Hungarian side. And the Whitecaps went down to a 2-0 loss. Vary Sartini went with another 4-3-1-2 starting lineup. It was a fairly even first half, nine changes made by the Caps at half-time, and it looked like it was heading to be a 0-0 draw before the Pushkas Academy scored two goals in the final ten minutes to come away with a 2-0 victory. Whitecaps have two more games left in their pre-season camp in Spain. They take on Serbian top-flight side FK TSC Baka Topola on the 27th, and then round things off with a game against Norwegian side FK Hoggesund on the 30th of January before flying back to Vancouver. So we'll see how all of those things go. One man that made his Whitecaps debut though in that match against the Puskas Academy was winger Fafa Pico. He started, he got 34 minutes just to ease himself into the team. Vanny had noted that he is still getting up to speed with the rest of the squad after starting pre-season just a couple of weeks really behind the rest of the guys we'll see what Fafa can bring to this Whitecaps team for this season but I got a chance to sit down and chat with him after that game against Pushkas on Monday and we'll be back with that and our song from our album of the month this month from English band James after this Hi, I'm Simon Betcher, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Ladies and gentlemen, here's my disease. Give me a standing ovation and your sympathy. Poor old Johnny and set himself on fire again. The gene genie on his higher wire act At the back of his mind lies a suicide pact Poor old Johnny and Seven 
welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our song from our album of the month for this month from 1986, Manchester band James. It's their debut album, Stutter, and that is the song from it, Johnny Yen. You can also find it featured on some of the band's greatest hits, best of singles, compilations. It's a song touching on the, the concept of being an outsider in in music, a tortured artist inspired by the Iggy Pop song, Lust for Life, the opening line of which is, Here comes Johnny Yen again. Definitely one of the standout tracks from James's debut album, Hope you have enjoyed that and all the songs we've played so far from Stutter. You can find it in all the usual places. And we've got one more song to come from the band in next week's show. We're going to get back to the football chat now and bring you the first of our two featured interviews in this episode. We talked about his signing last week, the gazelle Fafa Pico. The MLS veteran, now a Vancouver Whitecap, has had stints in Italy, the Czech Republic, St. Pauli in Germany. He's been in MLS since 2017, played with Philly, Dallas, Houston, Nashville. Two caps for the US national team, switching to Haiti in 2023 and got five caps for the Haitians last year. In 313 career club appearances, He scored 67 goals, added 31 assists. In MLS, 48 goals and 24 assists from his 202 appearances in the league. Was with Nashville in 2023, where he got nine goals across all competitions, including scoring in the semi-final and the final of the League's Cup. Free agent at the end of the season... The Whitecaps have picked him up. He's now going to be playing in blue and white this coming season for Vancouver. I got a chance to sit down with Fafa this week. Sadly, not in person, as they are over in Marbella, and I am stuck here in snowy, cold Vancouver. But we had a good chat about his career so far, what he hopes to bring to Vancouver, and a lot more. So go stick the kettle on, grab your biscuit of choice, sit back and enjoy our chat with the gazelle, Fafa Pico. Uh, so, Fafa, thank you so much for joining us on the show. First question, I, I guess, to ask is, how is life treating you at the Whitecaps and down in Spain? Uh, it's great so far, um, getting to know the guys, the group, uh Obviously, staff and the weather's been been pretty good. It's picking up even nicer now. So, um, just getting back into rhythm of training and and under under new tactics and everything. It's uh, but the guys are all great, so it's, it's an easy uh, adaptation. So, when did you first learn of Vancouver's interest? How did this whole move come about? Because as a free agent, you obviously had a, a lot of options. I'm, I'm sure. So, how did the Vancouver move come about? Um, I knew about it for for a little while. Um, obviously, um, it took a lot of um, decision making to 
to look at the you know obviously the technical tactical side um, city side um, a lot of different things came into came into play uh, the project of the team and I think the direction um, that we were going or we can go this year um, was very appealing so it ultimately affected my decision and the also the opportunity to come play for Vanny um, was definitely was definitely exciting as well so um, everything affected it. Um, I know Vancouver is an amazing city. Um, the players are all cool guys and, and very good players as well. Um, so it's, it was uh, didn't take me too long. Uh, we just had to figure out the, the details and, and got me over here. Well, we're certainly delighted to to have you here in Vancouver. I've long admired your, your play in, in MLS. And I mean... You bring something different to this team that we we haven't had. Vanny hasn't used wingers a, a lot, and I mean, is it is it fair to say maybe Vancouver's attacking style might also suit you a little bit better than say Nashville, where I guess the Gary plays more of a counter-attacking style of game, and this will maybe allow you to be a little bit more offensive. Definitely, um, when making the the decision, I. I definitely thought of it, um, and I do believe that I'm going to be a bit closer to the goal a bit more often and um, uh, have more chances to create for both myself and for other players. So um, using the pace forward instead of as much back will be will be definitely a, a positive, I believe, this year. And it's going to increase, I think, not just my stats, but uh, also guys around me. And you, you got your first run out in a game this morning as well, or I guess this afternoon, your time just over half an hour under your belt how, how did you feel out there how far away do you feel you are to to getting up to speed with the rest of the guys um you know obviously it's the first game um it was a it was a nice uh, chance for me to start to fight for my second lung as we say um and i think i'm obviously it's, it's one game but um that's important to me because i'm not a guy that takes a lot to come back maybe some guys are are a bit different but my body, the way it's uh, the way it is, it, it takes me a really quick turnaround to to get in shape. So these games are are very important for me to get involved in them, um, because obviously training is great and setting up the base for the year and preparation is important. But um, these games definitely put me in a different state physically because it's it's the most realistic uh, form of fitness that you'll get. So um, I think um, I'm obviously nowhere close to where I want to be. But I think the next week and change are going to get me to where I need to be for the season. Well, circle back, if we've time at the end, about the Whitecaps season. I, I want to talk a little bit about your, your journey to this stage, your, your career so far. And it's, it's been such an interesting journey for you and like reading stuff about you for, for a number of years now. When did you first know that you had what it took to, to be a professional footballer? Uh, I'd say, I mean, it was something that I thought, I thought I was a professional. If you ask my dad, I thought I was close <laughs> when I was five years old. I was a very confident kid. And, and the good thing is my father always pushed me. He always, uh, and he always allowed me to dream. And he always told me that I was close, um, knowing that I was far, but, uh, he allowed me to keep dreaming and always told me, Hey, you're, you're almost there. Keep pushing. And I didn't know how much I had to keep pushing, but it was encouraging. And I think around my early teens, um, it was difficult because a lot of guys hit their growth spurt before me and um, I didn't come into that new, I guess, early adult body of mine yet. 
but I saw, as I saw it started to come in around 13, 14, 15 years old is where I saw my speed pick up even more. Um, and different things just started to come around my game um, to complete it. And I realized that it would definitely be something. And then a year later on, I was I was moving to Italy. Yeah, I mean, that was such a, an amazing thing to do at the age that you did as well. But I mean, going back also to your family, like I know your dad played indoor soccer. I know your yeah. granddad played for the Haitian national team as well. Was that always going to be the, the path that, that you followed? Football's obviously been in your blood since a very early age and, and in your family. Oh, definitely. Um, in our family, we're full of football and the arts. I have a lot of uh, musicians as family and then a lot of footballers. Uh, one, I think, uh, is familiar in Canada. He's a, a distant cousin on my mom's side. is Patrice uh, Bernier. Um, so we talk pretty often. Um but um, watching him, I, be- I believe my first time watching him live was Jamaica, Canada in Miami. I think I was about 11 years old or 12. I don't wow. remember the year precisely. And uh, that was the first time me seeing him live. And then I think fast forward 14, 15 years later, um, we were playing against each other in MLS when he was at Montreal. So we changed jerseys that game. It was really cool, a really cool moment. But um, he's a class act and I'm pretty sure, you know, you ask around and so it's nice to see how he handled his career and the the quality of career he had, but also off the pitch, the kind of man he is. So these are these are great influences that I've been able to I've been fortunate to have around me during during my childhood and also my my early adulthood. Oh, I mean, that's fantastic! And like going to Italy at the age of sixteen, that's such a brave decision to do to to go to another country just at any time in your life. But to go at sixteen to leave your family to go to a, a whole different language, a whole different culture. I mean, I, I, I know things didn't always go well there. I, I read yeah. your your article that you wrote on the, the Dallas website back in 2020, but to make that decision, what what spurred you to do that? Um, To be honest, it was, um, it was either that or take the risk of potentially not having a career. Um, I think before... If you look back in 2007, how football was in the States and how we were considered worldwide, um, I knew it would take something special to even have a chance at having a career as we weren't, I don't think, uh, I think the stereotype of footballers in America was not so much, you know, we're talented or we're beyond multicultural. So we have just as many backgrounds as, let's say, a, a France or a Belgium, uh, just the fact that we're born here. Um, we've... I knew that if I stayed, I, you know, I could have gone the college route, but at the time there was also stigma towards size. I think um, in our football here in the country, it was a bit more, we didn't consider players of my stature were not usually receiving the the positive end of it. I think it's changing a bit now to where we're opening up more to different statures and different styles of players. But back in my time when I was younger, it was not uh, a guarantee that I had a chance at making it. So Moving to Europe, uh, moving to Italy was almost a no-brainer. Um, I didn't think of it much back in the day. It was just like, I, it was my dream. It was the capital of football at the time. It was a big, uh, that's when Serie A was very, very high. And, um, you know, obviously I knew I'd be far from my family, but my father supported me fully. My mom did as well, as long as I kept a GPA over a 3.6. I was allowed to, to stay over there. That was the conditions. That was my personal contract with my mom. Um and so I, I continued my schooling. I worked hard and 
Uh, it was a lot of sleepless nights because of the time difference. And I was mm. kind of a guinea pig with the online system at the time. We didn't really have that set up like now. Um, but it was amazing and everything was worth it to to kind of get my career started. It was a great base for my career. And I, I mean, you, you've spoken about the the tough times that you had there, the racism. And I've just seen it this weekend. It still hasn't got any any better over in Italy all these years later. What what did you learn about yourself in that time? How did that shape you to the man that you are today? Yeah, it uh, it made me a man very quickly. Um, I think when you go through certain things and you don't have... Obviously, my parents supported me fully. Some things I kept from them because um, my dad taught me to, you know, to to face challenges and, and to, to overcome them. And my mom was always a a great support system as well. And, you know, even though I didn't tell them everything, I knew I had them back home to support me. But at the same time, at that age, um, you have to go through certain things alone and you don't have so many people to just lean on to and kind of give up. I knew if I left right away, it would just mean me going back to what I was doing before. And I wanted to achieve something and I wanted to to accomplish my dream. Um, I think without those hurdles, I would have had a much easier career much early on already breaking in just off of what I was doing football wise, but also I wouldn't have become the tough man that I became. And um, it allowed me to, to not be fearful of anything that comes my way. Um, I've had a lot of other hurdles throughout my career, but when I see them, it's almost laughable just because of all that I had to go through earlier on. And, and it made me a tougher man. And it made me also a more compassionate man. Uh, when I see a younger kid in the locker room or, um, I'm still tough on them because I'm old school, but I um I want them to feel I want them to feel like uh like some of the older guys made me feel uh, when I was going through tough times, and there were still some guys that were amazing to me, and because of some of them, I'll never forget even now at 32, um how it felt to be in a locker room with some of them, and and that kept me going. So there's so many components, but ultimately I'd say it just made me a tougher man, and it built the the person I'm that I am today. I mean, if anyone hasn't read Fafa's thing on the Dallas website back in 2020, I, I'd read it. I mean, it, it's a, it's heartbreaking that you had to go through that, especially at such a young age. But I, at least you did get a decent, better experience over in Europe as well, a couple of seasons at St. Pauli. I mean, that must have just been a, an amazing experience playing for a club like that. Oh, it was, it was fantastic. Um, the St. Pauli fans are always in my heart. Uh, they, I realized true passion through those fans. They were, they're absolutely mad in the best way I can say that. Um, they were, they were supportive on the field, off the field. If they see you out, they were, they were supportive and, and they were just, you know, we would, whether lose or win, as long as you gave everything for the Jersey, um, and for the badge, they, they supported. Um, so there were, there's truly a different experience and, for anybody that may feel that it's an exaggeration or even an understatement, what, however, whichever side you go on it, it's something that you almost don't understand until you've gone to a match or you've experienced it as a player. I remember my mom and aunt coming to a match in in St. Pauli, and they were just they were just breathtaking. They couldn't they couldn't believe it. It was it was amazing, and there's certain matches that that have stayed in my head until now. And there's matches that I've forgotten at different places, but 
St. Pauli, I have so many great, um, so many great memories at Milan Tour. Um, so I'll I'll never forget that club. That's fantastic. I I know we don't have too much more time, so just got a couple more things just to ask you. I mean, coming to MLS then in twenty seventeen, I'm sure you could have stayed in Europe. But what brought you back home? Um, I I picked up a a small a small injury, and unfortunately, it kind of led to um some turmoil at the time, and um, there were some some interest in first Bundesliga, but we couldn't uh, get me out there for whatever reason or the other. And my only condition was coming back to coming back to the States. Um, there were a few loan opportunities that I guess club or we couldn't just find an agreement on. So uh, I ended up coming back to, to MLS in 2017. Um, when we, we spoke to, uh, I think it was Ernie Stewart and, and Jim Curtin at the time, uh, Jim, who I went on to play for, has been one of my favorite coaches of all time. Amazing guy. Um, but um, that's what ultimately led me to coming back to, to MLS. If not, I I personally probably would have stayed a bit longer. But um, as I've seen the league grown, it's been a great return. And, mm. and I've seen it grow tremendously in these last five, five six years. The, the player that you were in 2017 when you came back to the player that you are now how do you feel that you've grown in that time um i want to say strange enough the the i know a lot of people when discussing transfers like to hear age 19 17 and 21 and youth and and that's all great but um i think at 32 the way i've kept my body i feel just as fast as i was in pacey and athletic but just with more experience now, even more so. Um, I've learned different things and different tricks on and off the pitch to to keep me healthy and to keep my legs um, going. I do a lot. I think I'd say what I've learned has been more even off the field, just uh, maintenance-wise and, and knowing how to keep the longevity of my career um, for the simple fact that I don't want to be that old guy struggling on a pitch. And yeah. at 32, I feel like, uh, again, I still feel as, as great as I am. I was at 26, 25, so it's a great feeling to have. Um, with more experience now, you get to cherish every moment, and as we say uh, in the culture, you feel like an OG in the locker room, but you still get to have that, um, still get to live that youthful experience because it's it's football, so we all we all stay young at heart. Hey, you're young to me. I'm 55, so you're just a you're young lad. You're looking good, my man. You're looking Thank good. Thank you. I appreciate that. You've now become my favorite player. <laughs> ah, cheers. I like that. I like that. Um, I'll, there's so much more I'd love to talk to you about. We'll catch up with you more when you're you're back here. But I, just the last thing to ask you for today, you, you made the international switch to to Haiti, and yes. you, you played five games for them last year. What what was that feeling like for you playing for the country of your heritage, and just how how proud were, were your family when you you pulled on that Haiti jersey for the first time? Uh it. It it was different, and um, you know it was the, a huge honor to to be able to play for the country I was born in, for the USA, and be a part of that. Um, I remember my first call up from Jurgen um, back in the day is twenty fifteen or sixteen, and that was a a great experience. And you know it felt you still felt that um, that alliance and the allegiance um, the allegiance sorry to the 
she was a kit and a badge in the nation because I'm born and raised here. My parents were raised here. Um, but you know, putting on the the Haiti jersey was it was just different. Um, you know, it's a it's a country that's so rich in resource. Unfortunately, the world doesn't see it in the last, I guess, 20, 30 years even, um, because of the the instability and the the corruption that that unfortunately the daily uh, natives have to deal with. But it's such a beautiful culture, rich in music, rich in food, rich in so many natural resources that I it's something that I feel having success through our national team will not only bring joy to to the people that are suffering or the people that are doing fine, but just want to see us um, bring the flag high. But it will also it will also just bring awareness in different in different ways and and show a positive side of Haiti that you know it's almost disappointing when the first people that the first thing people think of Haiti is poverty, um, because we're the first um, first black um, independent country in the Western Hemisphere, earning the the independence in 1804, oh, wow. and uh, we used to be called the pearl of the a pearl of the Caribbean. And now it's not seen as such, um, unfortunately, because of so many events that have that have um, transpired over the years. So a big objective of mine uh, through football is to bring bring a different light to Haiti. At the same, I think all the guys are amazing. Uh, we have a beautiful group of guys that uh, some born in France, some born in U.S., some in Canada, some born in Haiti. But we all go back to play for our roots. And and I have no doubt as more guys continue to to gain that desire to play for Haiti, we can have one of the best teams in CONCACAF and and fight for many important things going forward. If it sees my generation with um within the next years, um would be beautiful. But a lot of what I'm doing is trying to set something up for the next the next generation that's coming because there's so much talent and I want the world to see that talent just as much as you've seen guys like myself, um Jonathan David who's Rooster Haitian, he's a fantastic okay. player. Josie Altador and and many more to mention that are playing in in France, and some in uh in other leagues. Um, a lot of guys playing for Haiti. We can have a a devastating national team, but um, it's gonna take little steps and steps towards the right direction, I would say. And um, but it's an honor. It's truly an honor. Um, getting my family behind it, supporting at forty something people at the Honduras game during oh, wow. Gold Cup. All my family flew in. My godfather, cousins, my parents flew out. Um, it was really a, a beautiful feeling. Uh, they made shirts, and just to see their support in a in a crowd full of Hondurans, see the Haitians as well, and then my family taking a large chunk of that space. It was it was beautiful. So um, I don't regret it at all. In fact, um, it's been one of the most beautiful parts of my career so far. So um, I'm thankful for the opportunity, and and pray to continue to be able to to support and, and play for my nation. Oh, that's a wonderful way to to end this chat. It's pleasure having you on the show. Pleasure having you here in Vancouver. Look forward to seeing you in person and catching up some more. And thank you for your time. Enjoy the rest of your time in Spain, Fafa. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you for having me, my man. See you when you come back to the rain and the snow. (laughs) I can't wait, man. I cannot wait. Great stuff from Fafa there. Really looking forward to seeing what he can do in Whitecaps colours this year. As we talked about on last week's show, it just adds an extra string to Vanni Sartini's bow. It gives him more options. 
when we get a chance to catch up with Vanny, we'll kind of ask if this means he's going to be going for a winger system, maybe not in every game, but in some of the games. Certainly going to be something that he could maybe even change up off the bench, but bringing Pico on. I like the veteran presence. He seems hungry and raring to go. Look forward to seeing him on the pitch for Vancouver soon. That is it for this part, though. Coming up next, we've got our second feature interview in this show. You've just heard from an MLS veteran. How about hearing from a CPL newbie? As we sit down with 15-year-old Grady McDonnell to chat about signing for Vancouver FC and becoming the youngest player in CPL history. We'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Ali Ahmed. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the new single from Idols, the English band. They've got a new album coming out next month on February 16th called Tank. That is the latest single to be taken from it. It's called Gift Horse. And I talked before about how much I love Idols. They're our former Artists of the Month here at AFTN and how gutted I was that I wasn't able to go and see them here in Vancouver at the PE Forum on Friday, May 3rd. Not 100% confirmed, but it's like 99% certain I'm going to be commentating that night and unable to get to that show. Well, you can imagine how cock-a-hoop I was on Monday when it was announced that after that gig sold out, they've added a second Vancouver show the night before at the PNE Forum, got my tickets for that in the pre-sale on Tuesday, finally gonna go and see Idols, I cannot wait. If you haven't seen them, if you've enjoyed the music we play in the show, go get a ticket for them and yeah, I'll see you at the PNE Forum on May 2nd. But good lyric from that song, which is why I picked it to kick off this part, look at him go. And a young lad that I think we could be saying that to and singing that to over the course of this season is 15-year-old Grady McDonnell, the Whitecaps Academy player that just signed this week for Vancouver FC, becoming the youngest player 
in CPL history. He's currently 15, he'll be 16 next month, beating the record already set by Vancouver FC in their inaugural season when they signed TJ Tahid. And we saw what a fantastic season TJ Tahid had away off with Canada at the Under-17 World Cup, just back from a training stint over in Europe with Feyenoord. What lies in store for the latest new young recruit at VFC, Grady McDonnell? Well, we got a chance to sit down with Grady this week just to chat about his journey so far, coming through the Whitecaps Academy, why he's made the choice to sign for Vancouver FC, and he's currently a dual national. He's been capped at youth level by both Canada and Ireland. What lies in store for him in that regard? Well, we chat about that and a lot more as well, so go stick the kettle on again. Grab a second biscuit of choice because, yes, you are worth it. And sit back and enjoy our chat with the young gun himself, Grady McDonald. Delighted now to be joined on the show by the latest Vancouver FC signing and the youngest signing in CPL history, Grady McDonald, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So this has obviously been in the works for a while, but I'm sure it's a, a bit of a, a whirlwind for you as well. Just talk about your emotions the, these last couple of days. How did all of this come about? When when did you know that Vancouver FC were interested in signing you? Uh, yeah, first of all, I'm super humbled by the experience and I'm very grateful that Vancouver has given me this chance and opportunity. And it started off probably about a month or two ago. And they they said they had interest and they, they see me improving like their other youth like players like TJ and Cameron because they've improved dramatically throughout the season. And they said they see me doing the same. And I feel like playing at VFC is where I can improve the best. So I, I know you a little bit from through the, the Whitecaps Academy. I haven't got out to any of the, the 17s games or seen you actually play, but I've known about you for a while, mainly because of the, the call-up to Ireland, which as soon as someone's got that, piques my interest a little bit as a as a Scottish person. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you've been with the Whitecaps now for a, for a couple of years and you were with the Prospects and Coastal before that. Yeah. Did you have a chat? Were the Whitecaps when Vancouver showed interest? What what was what was your mindset and what was your family's thoughts about why Vancouver FC was the the best path for you now? Well, like again, improvement. I can I feel like because they they said second team they they can they said they'll try to get a contract or something. But um, Vancouver FC offered first, and I feel like that's where I can improve the best too because it's experienced pros. The second teams bit younger they they're not as experienced as these guys in Vancouver and I see I can I can improve from the guys at Vancouver and learn from them watch them I feel like I can improve much more at Vancouver yeah you're, you're definitely going to be in a different environment How, how's this going to work with your schooling though as well now I know you're 15 just now you're 16 next month how does the schooling aspect factor in with getting to the training with, with VFC yeah, so I'm uh, I'm all online uh, with schooling. So 
my 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 routine would be train in the morning and then come back do do school and then maybe put an extra session in but yeah school is also a priority for me at school and school and football are the biggest priorities how cool so i mean obviously you've had this dream of, of being a professional footballer for a while i think i read in the press release you've played since you were like five years old when did you know that this was the career path that you wanted when did you know that you kind of had what it took to to be a professional footballer so it was probably during quarantine um it was like every day like because a lot of kids stopped uh playing and throughout quarantine i was like every day twice a day and then when the when quarantine was over we could play again i noticed a massive improvement and i I, I was obsessed with the improvement and I guess I just kept improving from then on. And yeah, I feel like all the Ireland call-ups is making me more and more like, like I want to, I want to make it. I want to, I want to play in the biggest leagues in the world. I mean, touching on that then, let's a little bit get to know you then. What football teams are the ones that you choose to follow? Who do you support? Um, I like watching City play and Brighton play because they, their play styles are, amazing and um yeah i follow the premier league a lot and premier league and i watch uh, the german league bundesliga oh that'll please zach then who do you who do you who do you follow in the bar who, uh, who do you like to watch in the bundesliga i like watching dortmund i like watching um well they're not they're not in bundesliga one i like watching schalke oh wait you, wait, you like watching dortmund and schalke yeah, the rivals. Yeah, okay. Why, 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 why Schalke? Uh, I went on a trial with them recently, and okay. I think nice. I can't remember a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do, do you not have a League of Ireland club from your dad? Like, is does he not have a club there? <laughs> the I don't follow it much. No, I don't follow it. <laughs> I mean, how's your family feeling about all of this? They're they're happy for me. They're supporting me, and yeah, I think they're very happy. Yeah, you've obviously had these camps with Ireland. You were recently called up by, by Canada as well. So wh- when you look at that, you've got a lot of decisions to make ahead, and it's like just enjoy your football just now. Don't don't rush into anything. But did those camps feel different? Like was there a different vibe in the Irish camp to the Canadian camp, or was it quite similar? I'd say it's similar but different. Like the vibes with Ireland, it's like way like it's like we the guys over there take I guess football a lot more seriously. I guess you could say, and mm-hmm. they're like, we we're, we're gonna smash these guys. We gotta win this game. With with uh, Canada, like still that that level of determination from some of the players, but um, it was like it wasn't as competitive. I would say I say I would say Ireland takes it more competitively. Yeah, I think the the Celtic nations certainly do, and obviously you did really well with them. I I know that you won the victory shield as well, so that must be a a special moment in your your career so far. Yeah, it was great. It was great. We won it in two games. I think I don't know if that's been done before. Oh wow! And yet you scored against Northern Ireland as well. That must have been a was that your first international goal? No, I th- it was the second one. Third, third. Oh, third! Wow. So you're you're banging the goals in. So you're a, you're a midfielder. So for anyone that hasn't seen you play, which includes myself, um, how would you describe your game? What do you feel you can add to Vancouver FC? Um, I feel like I could add that grit, 
and hard work. I feel like I'm a very hardworking kid. And defensively, offensively, I'm strong. Like defensively, I can win the ball back. Offensively, I like moving forward with the ball. I like having the ball at my feet and making things happen. So, so you, you, it sounds like you're describing yourself kind of as like an eight, like a box to box. Yeah, box to box. I can also play ten, but yeah. Okay, and so what? Like, obviously, this is you know, Afshin's gonna is the one who makes all the decisions and all the things. But in an ideal, in an ideal, in an ideal formation, an ideal setup, where would Grady like to see himself playing? Like, if you're setting yourself up, you're playing on EAFC or whatever. You're sitting, so you're putting yourself in the team. Where are you putting yourself? What formation are you using? Where are you putting yourself? I'd probably say four through three and with two eights, and I'd put myself at one of the eights. But okay. the, the, me, the, the left or the right eight, which, which side do you prefer? Left, because I like driving diagonally with the ball. Yeah, nice. See, right. th these are the tactical insights you get when you chat to us. <laughs> uh, like, what, what players then are, are your inspirations? Who have you grown up watching? That's um, you think, oh, I want to be like him. I watch Jude Bellingham a lot. Like, I feel like he's he's great all-around player as well he doesn't yeah. really have to watch him yeah he's great that's yeah. a great role model yeah yeah i'm i'm just disappointed he's english but <laughs> yeah. yeah but but he really honed his skills in the bundesliga that's the important part yeah yeah they couldn't find a scottish granny or something for him sadly so it's like that didn't work out now this is a team that you know has given young players chances but they've also managed the minutes carefully like tj last yeah. last year it's like they didn't just throw him into the mix it's much like like when Alfonso Davis was with the Whitecaps they didn't want to put too much pressure on him right away yeah obviously players put you you put pressure on yourself and you obviously want to perform but what would be your kind of initial hopes for this season without putting any too much pressure on your without sharing too much that's maybe been discussed with Afshin what, what's your hopes for this this first pro season yeah, I, I just want to prove myself like every day in training. I can prove myself and eventually break into that starting lineup and then perform well and work hard and uh, contribute to the team. Is there any aspects of your game in particular that you feel you, you kind of still need to work on to take that next jump? Uh, well, yeah, I'm 15, but I feel like the improvement and what, learning from all these guys and watching them train with me and I can... Like, oh, what's he doing now? And then I'll, I'll try and work on it. Yeah, I feel like I can improve a lot from looking up to these guys. Obviously, you, you mentioned that you talked to like to TJ, but is there uh, either one of a coach like Afshin or one of the other coaches or a player that you're most looking forward to like like learning from or working with or, yeah, uh, gaining wisdom from? I'd say Renan. Like, he's he's had the experience overseas at San Piedora and – He's 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 great, and I, I'm really looking forward to learning from him and yeah, watching him. That's awesome. Yeah, Redden's a is is a fantastic role model. We spoke to him last year on the show, and like he feels he can still go for another five years. And wow. he's in the gym so early, and he eats right, and like he, he he's a model pro. And I think ha being in that environment and having these guys around is obviously going to be great for your growth. Yeah. Signing now, though, as as the youngest player in the CPL, do do you feel any pressure from that, or are you just the kind of guy that ah eh, that doesn't really phase me too much? Um, I not not too much pressure, but I know I have to perform. I know I have to play well. 
So, uh, Grady, I'm a part of, um, as well as doing all this stuff with Michael, which I love, I'm a part of the supporter community for Vancouver C, uh, specifically the Fraser Valley Fanatics. And I messaged them on our, on our, on our private Discord this morning and said, hey, I'm going to be talking to Grady. Do people have questions? Uh, so here's just, uh, one I already asked uh, was also from, from Gail. But Gail wants to know a three-year contract, which is significant, right? That's already like 20% of your current life. But in, in, in three in three years, in three years, like where do you um, where do you hope you'll be in three years when this contract is done, or maybe even before that time? I I think Europe's the place to be for football, and that's that's my goal to get over there as soon as I can, and when I feel like I'm ready, uh, yeah, that's the goal to get over to Europe. Awesome. Yeah, there's a massive Scottish club called East Fife. We would love to <laughs> to have you playing for us there. You can okay. put my hat on just to Great. try and win you over already. Grady, don't don't listen to them. They're like fourth tier Scotland. Don't listen to them. Yeah, but by the time that Grady signs in three years, we'll be in the Premier. <laughs> if we've not been relegated out of the league this year, but yeah. Uh, any any other questions? Uh, no, that's all. I mean, people want to know about your your um your thinking on on national team choices obviously we're canadian like most of our people are canadian so they would love yeah. to see you choose canada but they yeah. it's, it's good to hear you share about you know you, you've been with ireland because there's been opportunity and more camps and uh yeah. obviously you've taken some of those opportunities which has made made them want want you more and that also yeah, well, canada want both, you more both teams were great they were both awesome experiences and yeah i still haven't made my decision yet do you, is there is there a timeline? Is there like is there something coming up? Whether it's uh you know uh, where that would tie you, that you're so, like I, I got to decide by this point. Yes, um, like for example, that the World Cup Canada went to that was that would be cap tying, and then we have Euros with the 17s mm-hmm. and that would be cap tying. But I haven't, I haven't, I haven't tied cap tied to a country yet yeah when 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 is that 17 euros under 17 euros um, it's in i think no because that's elite so we have elite phase in march so that's um i think top 16 and then after that's actual euro so i think it would be sometime near near the summer so okay so um, you might have you might have to make a decision as soon as this summer Yes, but then you're allowed to have one move after. yeah switch. okay yeah you can have yeah. you can have the switch and it, it's it's a shame, really, because it's like it's too early to to make a choice for for a player as well. I always feel it's it's a lot of pressure, and that's why we've seen folk at least they've got the switch option now, which is yeah. is good. But I mean, with Ireland, you've been playing at the seventeen level as well, so you're used to playing with slightly older folk, and at the Whitecaps as well. I don't know if you were you training with the older yeah, guys as well. Train with second, train with second team nineteens quite a lot, and then you're older with the seventeens too. So yeah, I've experienced playing like with people older than me, but I think this is the jump above that. And yeah, it, it'll take a little bit of time for you to find your feet. We can't wait to to see you on the pitch, and yeah, you're about to to go off to Turkey. Hopefully, the flights and everything's going to be okay to get you off to Turkey I, with us. I have no clue. Who knows? But yeah, <laughs> what time's your flight tonight? It's at six thirty tonight. Okay. <laughs> So you're you're going from this to the heat of Turkey. So I'm yeah. I'm sure you're looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Once that's done, you're you're back for preseason training with with the club and, yeah. and everything like that. Have you kind of pictured like when you get onto the like the Willoughby pitch for a game for the first time, you make your debut? Have you already kind of pictured that moment in your head? Family, friends, in the stands. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think about it a lot, and I think that that's going to be a great, great experience for me in my career to debut for Vancouver. Well, can't wait to see it. Enjoy Turkey. Uh, I've I've been there once. It's a beautiful country, really friendly people, great food. Have a great time there. Enjoy the football, and I'm sure we'll catch up with you again soon. Congratulations. Yeah, Sounds thank you so thing. much, Grady. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Take care. The latest Vancouver FC signing and the youngest signing in CPL history, 15-year-old Grady McDonnell sitting down with Zach and me there, choosing Vancouver FC as the next step in his pathway over the Whitecaps WFC2. Tell, telling us there, Zach, it's the the chance to play with older guys, be around older guys, develop better than maybe in the younger squad, which of course WFC2 is. Great for Vancouver FC. You've got to imagine the Whitecaps might not be over the moon at losing one of their, their star academy talents. Yeah, it would definitely be interesting to hear Axel's perspective on on this and how this happened. And um, I I get the sense on the Vancouver FC side that, that like this was not one of the ones you like uh, heard uh, rumors about. Like we hear rumors no. about, about David Norman coming, right? You you heard nothing about this. It was like bang, you know, this is happening. So um, I think it's a, a great job by Vancouver FC to sign a, a player like this to get him into a. He's very uh, highly thought of. Yeah, an adult professional environment. One of the interesting things in that conversation there was we asked him, uh, who who are you looking forward to learning from most or whatever? And he said Raymond Garcia. Mm. <laughs> right? Like he's like, yeah, I want to learn from this elder statesman of the team who can help me understand how to be a professional. And yeah, I, I don't know. Really, really exciting. I, as we said to him, like we spoke to Renan and it's like we were both well, I th- think I speak for you as well. I know I w- was blown away just by his commitment and just his regime, regimen even, and yeah. just how he looks after himself. And Vasco Fry talked about learning from him as yeah. well. So for a midfielder like Grady, he's such a great player to be around. And if you're going to be around the likes of a Ben Fisk, a Callum Irvin, mm-hmm. David Norman Jr., Sean Quinn, that... Gets uh, announced. Oh, yeah, Caden Chung, Kintav. Yeah. Like, these are guys that are going to teach you so much and a good grounding in the game. And it's like, th- there's no right pathway for everyone. We've talked about this in the show. WFC2 is a great pathway for a, n- a number of the players. CPL is a great pathway. USL, even, uh, yeah. as shown by Mo Farzi, who better himself. Went play for Columbus Crew's second team, now an MLS Cup winner. And it's like there's no right path. It's like the college route, the going into the pro route, it's like everyone is different. And it's going to be good to see Grady in this setup under Afshin, how he develops. You, you imagine they'll be managing the minutes much like they did with, with TJ Tahid last year. Yeah, exactly. I know there's a lot of people who at certain points of the season wanted to see more TJ. And you, I don't know, kind of like with Alfonso Davies with, with Carl Robinson and the Whitecaps, when you look back at it, you can't sort of argue against mm-hmm. how, th- how that was handled, right? And you saw Alfonso grow leaps and bounds even with 
his limited minutes and in a different way you saw TJ Dahid grow as a footballer in in his limited minutes yep away and playing at a world cup totally and if the same thing happens for Grady if he comes in and yeah is protected and only given uh so many minutes here and there in certain situations and you know only so many starts or only so many appearances or whatever uh you you I, i'm happy to trust you know people like afshin got beyond that and you know rob friend and and those who have some experience with these kinds of things and and even have last year to to, sh to show for it and it's a three-year deal and yeah. you would have to say if he does well much as with james cameron going to play for hearts b europe is going to be beckoning and grady himself said think, there that that's the place to be and everyone wants to be there James Cameron hasn't left yet. It's it's a uh, Lennon Lennon Thompson who went to Hearts B, right? Oh yes, sure. It's, it's <laughs> no, I it mean, is Lennon Thompson. Yeah, too many there young are, guys. There are these rumors though that there are clubs interested in in Cameron sooner yeah. rather than because he is already eighteen and he could yeah because well that that's the thing like TJ's coming back now from Feyenoord. Right. We're actually going to be chatting with with TJ this week for the the next show and maybe the show after just about how he's found that experience. And it's the this, this same with Grady as well. It's like, get your ground in here, and if you do well, make that move to Europe, and then the world's your oyster once you get over there. And obviously yeah. he's got a, the Irish connection because he has played for Ireland and Canada at youth level, as, as we talked about. I thought it was interesting that he had said, basically the Irish camps are more intense well, he also said one of the reasons why he's played more for Ireland is simply that they have they more have camps, more camps, yeah, which, is, which has been part of this larger ongoing discussion about Canadian football and and how it's uh, um, managed and the growth and sharing of the the resources, the resources. That's yeah. it. Sharing of the resources amongst the age levels and the pros and yeah. In a nutshell, just just even talking about that. It is what I think a lot of folk have argued about the youth levels at Canada because we, we qualify and not even all the time for these youth world cups and stuff but then we just struggle when we get there and we see other countries are so far ahead of us so they need to raise the intensity they need to get more camps they need to put more investment in it the resources have to go down to that level because this is the the future and everyone's going to talk to Grady about this decision international don't let him be a 15-year-old kid. Let him be a footballer. Let him play his club soccer. And don't put this pressure on him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. I agree with that. I Just looking at it, though, and listening to him talk a bit, I, I think he has a divided heart in terms of, like, allegiance yeah. to the countries. But when you listen and you look at some of the things he's done, like, you got to think Ireland wants him bad. Right, I'd like, imagine so. Like three, remember, three goals to his name already. He's won a victory shield, which folk might not know what the victory shield is, but it's all the home nations playing it. I've yeah. watched Scotland games before. We've had some uh, East Fife's ground in, in years past, and it's he, it's a, it, they're shown live in Sky. And one of those three goals is against Northern Ireland. Yeah, which is big derby a, and very intense uh, encounter. You'd imagine even even at that age. So yeah, looking forward to seeing him. He'll be. In at the camp, pre-season starts on February 20th. It was announced, the Vancouver FC pre-season. The home opener on Sunday, April 14th 
against Valor. The full schedule is coming out on Tuesday, so we'll delve a little bit into that in the next show. They said they're going to be playing some pre-season friendlies against local sides. They also said MLS clubs, which is an intriguing one because you do have the fact that the MLS season, I mean, it technically starts the day after VFC pre-season with the Miami game, but it's that weekend. Now, the Whitecaps have a bye week that first weekend. You'd imagine that that is one of the MLS sides that they're looking at, but there is also an international break which the Whitecaps are playing in, but maybe uh, another MLS team's going to come and play them or something. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I look yeah. forward. I look forward to more information on that. Yeah, I, I selfishly, I, I hope it's a, a Whitecaps VFC friendly on that weekend because that that would just be fantastic to get out to. And... The, the weekend you're alluding to, though, that would be like Vancouver FC will be have been training for. Four days, and the White Castle have been training for like. Oh yeah, six. and played two games against Tigris. Exactly. So it. it, it yeah, uh, maybe VFC won't want that packed to the rafters with fans. <laughs> exactly. If it does, if it does happen, uh, it'll be almost like the the Concacaf Cup, where you have Mexican teams kind of in full flow, and you have like an MLS team, like, hey, we just got together a few weeks ago, right? It'll have that yeah, kind of. I didn't think that through. That's fair enough. But but who, who knows? It will, it'll be interesting to see what they meant by that whole we're we're looking to play MLS opposition in preseason. Yeah, it could also just be MLS next pro. It could be Whitecaps too. True. Yeah, yeah it's technically MLS. But oh, yeah, yeah. four or five, six days. Yeah, we'll get all that confirmed. We'll have the schedule complete. We'll talk. More Vancouver FC and CPL in next week's show. Have another interview or two to bring you as well next week. That is it for the current chat about club football. We're going to turn our attention to the international scene in the next part. And we're also going to take you back to 1974, baby. And we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And we're taking you back to 1974 in this part. And kicking off this part, it's English band Sweet 
who changed their name from This Sweet at the end of 1973. And that was one of their non-album singles, released on January the 11th, 1974. Teenage Rampage, another iconic band from the 1970s UK glam scene. And such a, a distinctive sound, not just of the band, but really of the times. Uh, although they did change their sound from glam to much more of a harder rock sound from their 1974 album Sweet Fanny Adams. And from sort of mid-74 onwards, they kind of moved themselves a little bit away from glam, which was a, a brave thing to do because glam was still massive for a, a while after that, especially in the UK. If you're not familiar with the song, if you're not familiar with the band, you probably will know one of their other songs, Ballroom Blitz, a very famous song. It's been covered by a, a number of bands over the years. It was released the year before in 1973 and written about how the band were bottled off the stage in Kilmarnock in Scotland. It led to a song. And they were bottled off because they had been playing a, a set of songs that wasn't their hits, wasn't their best-known songs, and the, the Scottish crowd did not like it. Tip for any bands out there, don't upset Scottish crowds. I think that's the, the easiest thing to say. But yes, Teenage Rampage there was the name of the song. And I'm sure Vancouver FC will be hoping for a Teenage Rampage of their own this coming season from Grady McDonnell and TJ Tahit. We'll keep our fingers crossed that that goes well for them. But yep, yeah, as I said, we're taking you back to 1974 to kick off this part. And for anyone new to the podcast, in honour and to pay tribute to Vancouver Whitecaps' 50th anniversary season all year long on the podcast and on the website, we'll be running a series of articles talking about that 1974 season and for one part in every podcast we're going to kick it off with a song from this week or this month in 1974. Last week we featured Mud's Tiger Feet and that went up to the number one spot in the UK this week 50 years ago, staying there for four weeks and keeping Sweet's Teenage Rampage at the number two spot for a, a while as well. Old-time crooner Perry Como hit the top spot for a week with his number one album, And I Love You So, this week back in 1974. Terry Jax's Season in the Sun hit the number one spot in Canada this week. Now, that is a song that has been sung at football games in the UK since the 70s, or a, a variation of it. There's a, a few different variations of it. The most common one, going back to the days of football hooligans, was, we had joy, we had fun, we had rovers on their run, but the fun didn't last because the bastards ran too fast. There's a few other variations of that as well. You're 16 by Ringo Starr was the number one single in the US and the film The Sting was the number one movie in the UK with The Exorcist still number one film over here in North America. Now, kicking off this section, we've kind of talked last week, we kind of 
did a day-to-day thing of what happened this week in 1974. But what the bulk of this section will be is play a fun song at the start and talk about the Whitecaps season this week, 50 years ago. And it had been pretty quiet up to this week, which is why we haven't really kind of covered too much from the Whitecaps so far. But that all changes this week. And what we're going to do is we'll we'll go over the the stuff that happened with the Whitecaps this week, 50 years ago, on the podcast, and then put it out either on the Monday or the Tuesday after the podcast on AFTN.ca. So you you can read it at your leisure if there's anything that you missed, and it's going to be there for posterity as well. So up to this week, no team name yet, with owners indicating that it might go actually to a public vote. Now, spoiler, it didn't. Uh, The rights to an NASL team were acquired by Herb Capozzi's ownership group for $75,000. It was then announced on January 10th that from January 15th, 1974, any new additions to the league would cost owners $250,000. So a huge increase into what the, the Whitecaps ownership group was to pay. Vancouver still had no team name. The Whitecaps moniker was to come soon. We'll talk about that in a show coming up in a, in a few weeks. They had no manager in place, no players, and they didn't even have a confirmed place to play, although they were targeting Empire Stadium. And all of that with less than four months before the 1974 season kicked off. GM Denny Veach told media on January the 10th that they were talking to three prospective head coach candidates, one in Vancouver, one in Eastern Canada, and one in the UK. Now, it was reported that English defenders Bobby Cram and Peter Dinsdale, both of whom played for Vancouver Royals, Cram in 1968 and Dinsdale in both their seasons in 67 and 68, they were both linked to the job and both had stayed living in Vancouver after their their time with the Royals was over. Fast forward a week, though, to January 17th, and Veach then told media that the club had been interviewing eight prospective head coaches, four from Vancouver, two that were based in the US and two in the UK, saying, You can say we have one definite preference and one definite second choice. We hope to make the decision very shortly, but we are being very careful bearing in mind the task facing the man we choose. He must have a good public image as well as good coaching abilities and he must also have good contacts in the world of soccer since it will be his job to put the team together for an inaugural season. So, no sporting director to help out, no scouting department. The coach that was to be in place was basically responsible for assembling a team that could compete in a new league in less than four months and he hadn't even been appointed yet so a, a tough task and you can kind of understand why they maybe had to expand the search because I'm sure there's a few coaches that were like yeah we fancy the job but it does seem quite a lot to ask of us now the 1974 NESL US college draft 
took place this week, 50 years ago. On Wednesday, January 23rd, there were four rounds conducted by telephone between the 15 teams. No internet or easy ways of communication in those days. It was the third NASL draft overall in their seventh season as a league. And the league was continuing to grow, continuing to expand. There were eight new teams in the league for that 1974 season, with another one of the four West Coast expansion sides, the LA Aztecs, having the first pick. Vancouver had the seventh pick in the first round. Going into the draft, Philadelphia Atoms had made an offer to Vancouver for their pick. Wasn't revealed at the time what it was, and Vancouver turned that, that sort of approach down. Denny Veach, though, played down the draft, telling media the day before that he didn't expect to draft players beyond the first round, except maybe to acquire trade bait. He said, I've seen all four top university teams in the US. St. Louis University is easily the most outstanding squad, but I'm convinced we have equally talented players right here in BC. Because the whole point of this Vancouver side is they wanted to make it Canadian. They had to have a minimum of four Canadians on the roster, but they were targeting to have a bulk of this roster, if not all the roster, being Canadian. And the more local guys they could get, the, the better. So Veach kind of playing down the draft, but in the end, Vancouver actually drafted four players, one in each round. Forwards, Steve Bauman from the University of Pennsylvania went with their first round pick in number seven spot. Mark Mathis from Quincy University, Illinois, another forward, along with two Ethiopian players, forward Takeda Elimu and defender Yarigao Gebriesis. They both played with UCLA. And I struggled really to find much details about Gebriesis, but Alamu was an Ethiopian international, had played in the African Cup and H nations as well. Now, all four players that were drafted had played in the last senior bowl game, but none of them made the Whitecaps roster that year. I was curious as to exactly what had happened to them, though. And Bauman... He still holds Penn Quaker's career points and assist records. He went on to play three seasons in the NASL, and he played that 1974 season with the Miami Toros. He then retired to become an elementary school teacher before becoming the head coach of the Quakers in Pennsylvania, and then he became the chief executive of the U.S. National Soccer Hall of Fame. So, fantastic career that Steve Bauman had. But perhaps the most amazing of all was Takeda Alamu. Alamu had been capped internationally with Ethiopia, but he gave up a life in football to enter the political world. He started off as a first secretary in 1983, rising to deputy minister of foreign affairs in Ethiopia in 1991. And he's been a diplomat now for over 40 years, he was Ethiopia's permanent representative to the United Nations from January 2011 until early last year. He's still a UN diplomat, and he even served as president of the UN Security Council 
for a month in September 2017. Now, that is not bad for a Whitecaps draft pick that didn't go on to play a single game for the Whitecaps. That is ridiculous. <laughs> now, Vancouver did, however, get the rights to a player on January 23rd that was to play a significant part of the Whitecaps' inaugural season. Bermudan international goalkeeper Sam Newsom. Newsom had played the previous two seasons with Montreal Olympique. They had folded and he stayed one season in Vancouver, making 17 appearances before going on to play one final year in the NASL with the New York Cosmos. And we'll have a lot more to talk about with Newsom as we get into the 74th season. But yeah, interesting times. It was the start of everything happening. And that was This Week for the Whitecaps in 1974. So let's bring us right up to date now. And we're going to finish this part with a look at some international news stories. We'll kick things off on the Canadian side. And some news that I, I would I'd say it was pretty much one way traffic and thought. Mauro Biello was named to continue as Canada's interim manager for the upcoming huge Copa America qualifier against Trinidad and Tobago in March. It's not gone down well. I, I believe you're quite happy for him because you do want Mauro to succeed but the general fans reaction to this has not been good I mean it, it makes sense on numbers and yeah like like we've talked about on the show before I'm happy for Mauro because I think he deserves a chance I, I think the limited opportunity he's had in the interim role is hard to qualify that as a chance um, and I understand if people feel it is so yeah but ultimately it feels like I know you've said this or you, we've talked about this or whatever that it almost feels like this is a, okay yeah he extend the interim tag and then that's because they're waiting for a season to end somewhere where they can bring in someone that they they've had their eye on or they've had meetings with or I mean or it surely has to be that I mean before Christmas and I wasn't the only one that heard this people were being told Bobby Smirniotis is a done deal right now if it was a done deal, you'd imagine he would have taken over for this. Yeah. Or at least be working with Mauro for this. Yeah. But it does, surely this means there's a manager somewhere in Europe that they're wanting to get, that they're waiting to the end of the European season, and he's going to come in in May, June, July. It has to be that. The disaster yeah, you... of that Jamaica game. Yeah. It's like it doesn't instill a lot of confidence. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I put that on my mind. That, well. that, that was really bad. I mean, this is huge but, for Biello. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. It's like, do you have the faith that you can beat Trinidad and, and Tobago? I, I do, because this squad should be beating Trinidad and Tobago. Exactly. And I know they put up a, a good fight against the US, and I know they're taking on two countries at the same time. But it's like that we should be way too good and we should get through this and we should be at Copa America ifs and buts don't make formalities so the pressure is on him and it's well we stick with the old guard that was so criticised in the last game we bring in fresh blood 
is this the kind of game to bring in fresh blood? Surely you kind of do want to stick with what you know. There's so, so many things for him to to kind of cope with here. But, I mean, ultimately it boils down, if Canada don't get through this, it's a disaster for the programme. It's a disaster for the preparation for 2026. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anyone wants to contemplate not qualifying for this, right? Like, it, it would be disastrous in multiple ways. And, I mean, if if that were to happen, then, yeah, Morrow would be, you know, uh, not extended immediately or whatever, right? Like, that yes. would be... Yes, you, you would, would certainly think so. I mean, yeah. we didn't even have a camp routine this year. Obviously, money being a little bit tight, but a January camp for the MLS guys you would have thought would maybe have made a lot of sense. The US had their traditional January camp. It was all MLS players in it. And because it's not in a FIFA window, like they, they played Slovenia on Saturday. It was a 1-0 win for the Slovenians. 24 players made their international debuts in that match. 13 for Slovenia and 7 of the 11 American debutants were starters as well. But one of those deputants was Vancouver Whitecaps' Brian White. Now, Brian will be joining up with the, the Whitecaps squad in Marbella this week after his spell in the US camp. Made his national team debut on Saturday. He started, he played 62 minutes, didn't get a shot off, tagged with creating one chance, 82% passing accuracy, and trust me, it took me a long time to find these stats because all the usual stat sites did not have stats for this, but I eventually found it. So, I, I don't know. I didn't watch the game. I don't know how well he did, but pleased he got this opportunity and hopefully he can have a good season to, to build upon it. Did get a chance to jump on the pre-game call with Brian, myself and Har went on it. So, I'll play a little bit of audio from Brian just now just talking about his excitement of being part of this and what it means to him to put on his country's jersey. Hey there, Brian. You've had two career seasons now in the last three years, getting the reward now with this call-up to the national team. When you look back to when you were a little boy starting out, it's obviously a dream to play for your country. How much does this moment mean to you? And how do you hope to use this camp to now take it into the season, which is going to obviously get underway for you in less than a month now? Yeah, it's um, it's been a long road, I think, to get to this point. You know, growing up, you're always dreaming of playing for your national team at any level. And throughout my youth, you know, you're, you're on the I was on the outside looking in at all the youth camps and you recently watching people get called into the full national team camps and just waiting for, you know, one opportunity to, to be able to show what I can do, what, I, how I can play. And yeah, I'm looking forward to getting out on the field and representing the country in a game against Slovenia and hopefully scoring a goal. Brian, I also wanted to ask uh, about your outlook uh, for Vancouver's CONCACAF champions cup uh, campaign. I think you guys start before anybody else this season and, uh, and how you think the, uh, the squad is ready for that and how you think you'll approach that tournament. For the Whitecaps, it's going to be, it's obviously a tough start to the season. Um, but, you know, we're up for the challenge. I've watched a couple of the video clips from training that they've been sending over from 
from Marbella. So it looks, it's looking good. Everyone's getting integrated into the, our style of play that we want to execute and um, should be a fun uh, opportunity for us against Tigres and in Victoria. Can you let the U.S. fans know a little bit about your game, what you're all about here in Vancouver? Just kind of describe what you're doing on the pitch to them, maybe if they're unfamiliar with what you're all about. Um, yeah, I think style of play, I, I like to create a lot of problems for defenders, um, whether that's being physical and making runs in behind, um, pressing well when they're on the ball and, you know, just trying to make their lives as difficult as possible. And then offensively, just getting in the box and um, finally sniffing out moments to, to get in front of goal and, and have my opportunities. So Brian White there just talking about his excitement and he was on CBS talking about how he looked up to Clint Dempsey as a kid and getting this opportunity. So if nothing else, if this just is a one and done thing, it's still a great thing to to have when you look back on your, your career, Zach. Yeah, I mean, I know the great regard in which you hold Clint Dempsey. I, I liked his song. Yeah, very yeah, song that he had. I, right. I believe no, I, I've played Don't Tread in Wavelength before. All joking aside, yeah, this is uh, great for Brian White. And, uh, yeah, a just reward for his hard work these last couple of seasons. And, um, yeah, for Whitecaps fans, you hope this just spurs him on. Yeah. Uh, the big two international tournaments that are going on just now, the African Cup of Nations, I've, I've not had a chance to watch. Yeah, I've hardly much. watched. I watched a little bit. I watched a little bit of highlights. I watched a little bit live. I watched a little bit on PVR for the African I, I've uh, I've nations. unfollowed the the calf YouTube channel because their highlights were going up with the scores. Oh yeah, Being Sports USA are putting up like eight to ten minute highlights of the matches with yeah. no spoiler in the graphic. So what's up? What's up with the? So I went to the YouTube say the, for the shows the Asia one. Yeah, but it's like all they have under like coming streams. It's all like press conference, press conference. So you have to like know when to. I, I you know. It's easy yeah, to I think it it, go, it goes live at the time of the game. Yeah, but all the other, all these other things have like predetermined. Yeah, it's weird that it's not like, hey, we're showing this game tomorrow or whatever. But yeah, I mean, we're recording this on Sunday night, so both in the African and the Asian Cup, all the teams have played two games so far. There's games taking place on Monday, and, and the African one first of all. We'll we'll look at that one first. There's been a few surprised results, and I, I think maybe. If you look at Group B, maybe none more so than Cape Verde have qualified from Group B already after two matches, and this is a group featuring Ghana and Egypt. Yeah, did you? I actually watched a, most of the Ghana Egypt match live. So did I, because it was on yeah, BBC. I, I saw you tweeting about it later. I didn't see it at the time. But yeah. Yeah, two all draw. It was a. It was a pretty shitty first half. Let's let's be honest yeah, there. I, the but it was I, a fantastic I, I, second half. I think I missed most of the first half, but yeah, I watched all the second half. And oh, you know who, shocking, shockingly, you know who else is watching the game? Gersh Kofi. Gersh Kofi. I just imagined <laughs> it would be. Because when Ghana scored, I, I messaged him. The, the way it works, the top two qualify, and then it's the four best third place things. So, I mean, Ghana and Egypt still have a good chance to go through, but... It, from some of these results, and I've I've more just looked at the results and watched the games, it feels like a changing of the guard is kind of coming in Africa a little mm. bit. There's been some really strong performances from like countries like Equatorial Guinea, who are top of Group A, and 
there's been a lot of these countries that are maybe this is the next hotbed to look for talent, which the Whitecaps have done, and they they've brought a couple of guys over Gambian from Tanzania as well. How long has it been 24 teams? That's one thing I was I was wondering. I, I don't know. It, it, feels, it feels like a lot of teams. Yeah. Talk, talking of Whitecaps, a Tanzanian player, Cyprian Catchwelly. He hasn't featured for Tanzania in either of their two matches so far. They've got a point and they're sitting bottom of Group F. I watched the highlights of their game today against Zambia. Zambia favourites going into it, went down to 10 men. Tanzania scored, and then they dropped uh, the two points to a late leveller. So it was a heartbreaker for them. So a lot of good stuff in Africa. And I'll be trying to watch it more this week, because now that we're into the last round of the group games and then it's the knockout stages, it's a bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge fan of group stages, just in general in a lot of the competitions. But turning our attention to Asia now, again, at the time of recording, the two teams or the teams have played like two, two of their three group games, and of local interest, as you mentioned, Vancouver FC's Gabby Batar didn't feature in Lebanon's huge nil-nil draw with China on Wednesday. Yeah. Now that sets up a massive game on Monday morning that folk will know the result of by the yeah. time that they listen to this. They play Tajikistan seven a.m. Mm-hmm. our time, and if they win that they've got a really good chance of being in the top two of the group. And, and even if they're not, they should go through as one of the best third-place teams because mm-hmm. Qatar are playing China. And that would be massive for Lebanon. But what an experience this would be for Gabi Batar as well. And I don't know if you saw Iraq beat Japan 2-1 on Friday. Yeah. Former Whitecap Ali Adnan, who started their first game, came off the bench in the second half of this one. But... Wow, what what a win. Yeah, massive for a man of his age. <laughs> but they, uh, that as well should be oh, yeah, fantastic J- games coming it, up now. All joking aside, yeah, Japan has been on a crazy roll, including that include doesn't include their, includes their uh, one victory against Germany. I don't think it includes their other, does it? I don't uh, know. Iraq they were- led 2-0 at the half, and it was only a 93rd minute goal by Japan that, even yeah. reduced the deficit in that one. Yeah, because Japan, I think it was 11 games in a row they had won or something. Mm-hmm. So the Asian Cup games are live on YouTube in Canada. And if you've got a VPN for the African Nations one, you can watch some of the games on BBC. And as I say, BN Sports USA YouTube channel has some really good highlights, but no spoilers that I've seen so far. So hopefully I'll be watching that a lot more of these games this week. Mm-hmm. That is it for the football chat. We will finish, as always, though, with this episode's wavelength. And spoke to Fafa Pico in part two there, the new Whitecaps winger. And he played two seasons with St. Pauli over in Germany. So I've had this song in my folder for a while. I've been waiting for a moment involving St. Pauli to, to play it at some point. So this seems a perfect time. It's a, a band we've featured before in Wavelength. UK punk legend, The Angelic Upstarts. Blood on the Terraces is their big football song that we've played before. This is a track taken from their 2015 album, Bullingdon Bastards. It's their 12th and at the moment last studio album, although the band are still going. And this is their song, The Streets 
of St. Pauli. Angelic upstarts, the streets of St. Pauli. That is it for this show. You can find me on X or Twitter at Zachary M if you want to connect there. I was going to say, you know, just a huge uh, shout out to Fraser Valley Fanatics. And uh, yeah, shout out to FE Fanatics and uh, some of the stewards of Vancouver FC. Uh, we just had a uh, Andrew Andrew Harley organized just a, a get together, an off season, no agenda. Soiree. Well, sure, you could call it that, I guess. Uh, just at one of our uh, local pubs that we uh, will hang out at before or after matches sometimes, the, the Barley Merchant in in Langley. And it was, so it was, it was great. It was like 
because of the weather though i was just like and there was a bunch of people who said oh i was gonna come but I, the weather yeah, I got... but i saw your photo i couldn't believe how many folk had turned up that's a good turn up for a well, snowy after we left the the pie hole we got held up a couple uh we 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 ran into some bunch of people we knew on the on the Fraser Highway in downtown in downtown Langley and had long conversations that made us late for uh made us late for to get there. So we walked in and I was like, oh, it's not gonna be a big deal because yeah, I knew like three or four or five people who had said, Hey, I'm I'm just not gonna make it. So I walked in and it was like one of those were like, uh shoot, the whole thing is full. <laughs> we were just we were just lucky that there was a, a space that where we could bring in another table and and add wow. on to it. So no, so shout outs to um stewards of the club like Mark Rogers was there and um Jeevan Kang and Kyle Rowe and then players uh Captain Callum Irving was there. Um the uh kind of Swiss Army knife of Caden Chung was there, and then of course new signing Ben Fisk was also there. And so it was just a nice again, no agenda, just hanging out, having food, having beverages and uh and connecting. It was a really, really nice time and uh you know gets everyone excited about you know what's in store for the season and it was good to see ben finally face to face for the first time in a while and um yeah and just the, the best thing as well is you didn't have to pay for anything because when the waitress came up with the bill ben just looked at her and said we've already paid and just <laughs> gave her that hypnotic stare because he's got superpowers yeah i wish i wish it was like that <laughs> um but no it was really it was a really good time and so looking forward to some more of those and there's a number of things in the, in the works as we walk towards our journey to travel towards the season coming and preseason. and so yeah just really excited about all the that 2020 has in store for the fanatics and yeah if you want to be involved um fefanatics at gmail.com uh or on social media you can find us there as well and yeah it's uh yeah really yeah really excited and really encouraged and yeah with a guy like ben coming back too it's kind of and potentially other other local players or even grady's i don't know i don't know grady's family and his friends or whatever i'm looking forward to having uh, some other local people who will hopefully choose to be engaged in, in the support um that that exists around the club and help grow that as well so yeah exciting times yeah as i like to build so far by the team great to have the schedule coming out this week as well it helps planning things just need the league one bc schedule to to come out now and, that and the might not come out to march and the voyager's cup we need that oh the voyager's cup as well uh with league one as well just say you may or may not have seen the the commissioner so general manager of league one bc shan bagshaw stepped down this week the search is on for a new gm Gonna throw my hat in the ring. I think I could run that league very well. But I just want to say big thanks to to Sean for the work that she's done in lifting the league in these first two seasons. Let's see what is in store for season three and more. So it is exciting times in 2024 in BC for soccer at all levels for the podcast as well. We're looking forward to covering it every step of the way. We'll be back with another episode soon, some more interviews soon. And until then, give us a follow on Twitter, AFTN Canada, youtube.com, AFTN Canada, and drop us a line, AFTN Canada at hotmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe in the snow and slush, and mon the caps. <laughs>
is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Yeah. Mm-hmm.